welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church podcast. Glad you could come back with us and join us this week as Pastor Lamberth is finishing up his series on the book of Daniel. Go ahead and grab your pen and paper and your Bible, and let's join in with Pastor Lamberth at Harvest. We're going to be like we have been for the past couple of weeks. In the book of Daniel, uh, we've been talking about standing for Christ in a fallen world. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, but to set the stage for Daniel chapter 3, I want to go to Daniel chapter 2. Now, I know many of you are Christians, veteran Christians, and you understand that the book of Daniel is one of the most uh, prophetic books. It is one of the most important books on Bible prophecy in the Bible. And on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we are teaching through the book of Daniel. I'm preaching through it on Sunday morning, not so much teaching it as it relates to Bible prophecy, but Daniel chapter 2 is an important book about the history of the world, past, present, and future. Nebuchadnezzar, which we have been talking about, is the king of Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq, and he has conquered Israel, and he's brought Daniel and many of his companions, three that we're interested in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, brought them to Babylon. And we're talk, we've talked in the past about how Jerusalem represents God's kingdom, Babylon represents a secular kingdom, government and life and a culture apart from God. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 has a terrible dream. And in that dream, there is a huge statue, and the head's made of gold, the the shoulders are made of uh, brass, the the stomach is made of bronze, and the legs are made of iron, and the feet are made of iron and clay. And this is specific to Nebuchadnezzar. He sees it, and for whatever reason, it scared him. There's a, a big rock that comes out of heaven and crashes this statue, and it crumbles to pieces, and then the rock grows and fills the whole earth. That's his dream. And it scared Nebuchadnezzar. It must have been very real to him. So he he called all his wise men together. This is in the text. And he said, two things I want you to tell me. One, I want you to tell me what my dream was and what it means. He wanted to be sure they weren't quacks and charlatans. So Daniel comes in. King, God in heaven has revealed to me your dream. And Daniel tells him what he dreamed and he tells him what it means. And Daniel In chapter uh, 2, Daniel said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. This image has a head of gold. You're the head of gold. The God of, listen to what he says, the God of heaven has blessed you. The God of heaven has made you king of all the earth. And then then Daniel says this, look at chapter 2, verse 28. This is the key verse here to the chapter 2. Daniel said, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, the last days, the end of days. Your dreams and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. Then he goes on to tell him what the dream was. Look at verse 37 of chapter 2. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. He's given you power, 
strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, God has given them into your hand, and God has made you ruler over all the earth. You are this head of gold in the vision. All right, God gives Nebuchadnezzar, this heathen king, a picture of the history of the world going forward. And there are four world kingdoms. The last one is the kingdom of the Antichrist. And he says, but he's doing it, king, so that you'll understand what will happen in the last days, the end of the world and the coming of the Antichrist. And the headline on Friday's, Friday's paper was, ISIS bulldozes the ancient city of Nimrud in Iraq. And this was the caption under the picture. Islamic State fighters, ISIS, have looted and bulldozed the ancient Assyrian city of Nimrud, the Iraqi government said, in their latest assault on some of the world's greatest archaeological and cultural treasures. And you have, it's been in the paper ongoing, ISIS is destroying all these artifacts. You know that Iraq today is ancient Babylon, and it is, it is the oldest civilization in the world. It is where the Garden of Eden was there, and it is where the seat of human government started, Babylon, the first world kingdom. And I put that up, I put that up to show you that what God said to Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king, this Iraqi king, 4,000 years ago, we are still talking about it today. We're still talking about it today. This city of Nimrud, you go back to Genesis 10, Genesis 11, it says that um, there was a Nimrod who went to the plains of Dura, Babylon, and he founded cities. Nimrod, the tower, he founded the Tower of Babel, Babylon. Isn't it amazing that after 4,000 years, the, God appeared to the king Nebuchadnezzar and said, I'm going to show you what's going to happen in the world ahead of you to the last days. And now you and I, 4,500 years later, are still talking about it. The same time, the same place, the same stuff. You think that's coincidental. You're mighty optimistic. I'm telling you, God's word is true. And so this king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this great vision, and God reveals to him the future. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do with it? Now go with me to chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. 60 cubits is 90 feet. And its width was 6 cubits, that's 9 feet. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Iraq, Babylon. And then if you read verses 2 and 3, he says the same thing. So King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to the, to the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image. And they gathered together, and look at verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, you control the world. At the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony, they all play together. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the fiery furnace, uh, to, a, to a blast furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, all kinds of music, 
all the people, all the nations, all the languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we'll stop right there, but we'll keep your Bible open. Nebuchadnezzar in chapter two has this vision that God gives him in a dream of all the world kingdoms that are gonna come. So then in chapter three, maybe 18 years later, Nebuchadnezzar builds himself an image that goes back to his dream. And he builds it 90 feet tall, and it's covered with gold, probably made of wood, overlaid with gold, 90 feet tall in the desert, and it's only nine feet wide, which it, it was tall and skinny. And it was on a foundation. Biblical archaeologists say, believe they have found the base of that statue in modern-day Iraq. They think they have uncovered that base, and it's, it's made of brick, and, and it is there. But we see the, the pride and the politics in Babylon. The, the pride and the politics. We see the king's pride. And Nebuchadnezzar was a king, but he was a politician. And he had this pride. And this was his image. This image, it was huge. And it, it, the head of gold is the Babylonian Empire. Daniel said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are this head of gold. The God of heaven has given you dominion. Then the breast and arms were made of silver. That's the Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus the Mede, if you know your, your ancient history. That, that Daniel chapter five, they conquer Babylon. Then the belly and thighs of brass represents the Greek empire of Alexander the Great. You, again, I'm a history buff as well. Alexander the Great, when he was 32, 33 years old, he conquered the whole world. And remember, he famously sat down and cried because there was no more worlds to conquer. And then the legs of iron represent the Roman empire. And so, you see, when Daniel interpreted this vision, Nebuchadnezzar was living 606 it, it, it died in 538 B.C. It, it lasted 67 years. And that happened. All that is prophecy. And it all came to pass just like God said it would. We have seen all these empires. We can read about them. We can read about all these empires in history except this last one. The feet and toes mingle with iron and clay. That is one that is yet to come. It is Daniel's 70th week. And we'll talk about that later as we study the book of Daniel. It is yet to come, and that is going to be Revelation 13, the empire, the world empire that the Antichrist is yet to establish. But God revealed these latter-day events to Nebuchadnezzar over 4,000 years ago. And Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, King God has given, the God of heaven has given you, he's given it to you. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He let it fill him with pride and he built an image and an empire and he wanted everybody to worship him. He made the fatal mistake of you and to me and humankind. We, we leave our own press clippings. Nebuchadnezzar had nothing that God didn't let him have. And ladies and gentlemen, no matter who you are and what you have, I want to tell you, you owe it all to God. Every good and perfect gift come from the Father above. But you say, and I can hear you saying it, I can hear you thinking this, 
You don't know. I'm a self-made man. I worked hard for what I've got. And that's true. God does bless hard work. But the Bible said, it is the Lord your God who gives you strength to earn wealth. If God didn't bless you with good health and good strength, see how far you'd get. You wake up in the morning and you find out you got stage four cancer and you're dying. See how well you do. Nebuchadnezzar was blessed by God and it turned his heart to pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The New Testament says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you want God to honor you and if you want God to bless you, always remember where you got what you have. Do not think for one minute that you're a self-made man. Do not take for granted what you have. And, and I would also hasten, be careful to complain about what you don't have. God is good. God is gracious. God is merciful. And Nebuchadnezzar did not honor God with what he had, and God took it from him. God gives and God takes away. Honor God. We see the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, and many times this old world system is built on pride and ego. And then we see the proclamation. The king makes this edict, chapter 6. He said he got all the people together. Notice who he got together. And, and, it, and it repeats it a couple of times. The satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and the officials of all the provinces. Nebuchadnezzar controlled the whole known world, the known civilized world, and he, he's building this 90-foot-tall image, and he sends word to all over the world, hundreds of miles, and he says, I want all the leaders, all my rulers, all my governors, all my magistrates, all the mayors, all the county commissioners, I want them all to come over here to Babylon, to the plain of Dura, and we're going to dedicate this statue, which is the symbol of two things. It is the symbol of our government and our power and our gods who have let us conquer you. We're more powerful than you. And this symbol, it was a political symbol. It was a religious symbol. It said, pay homage to me. I am your ruler. I have conquered you. And in that day, if I conquer you, my God is stronger than your God because if your God is stronger than my God, he wouldn't let me conquer you. But yet we go over to the Jews and we see that God gave Nebuchadnezzar Israel because of Israel's sin. But Nebuchadnezzar is proud. Nebuchadnezzar reminds me of the story I heard one time about the rooster who thought that his crowing actually made the sun come up. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, to take credit for what we do and what we have and what we are is akin to a rooster taking credit for the sun coming up. It is only coincidental. Look, you work hard, you, you work hard, you make sacrifice, you make commitment, and God blesses that. But make no mistake about it, we have nothing that God did not give us or allow us to have. And the king makes this proclamation Come and worship here. Babylon represents the secular city. Come and worship our gods. Come and worship our system. It is, it, is a, it is a political system. It is a religious system. And one thing, ladies and gentlemen, they always do over in Babylon, they always do over in the city of man, is they always mix politics and religion, 
At the same time, they say they are not mixing politics and religion. You see, in our country, you can't have God and the Bible in the schools. And, but they do have religion in the schools, if not go to science class and listen to them teach on evolution. We have taken the Ten Commandments out, and so now we have character training. We teach our kids, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But we can't put up the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not cheat, thou shalt not steal. That would make too much stinking sense. There is a secular religion that goes with secular power base. And here, listen, here is the religion in Babylon. The religion in Babylon is anything is religion as long as you understand Babylon comes first. And the reason that Christians don't get along in Babylon is because we can have no other gods before us. We think we're right and the others are wrong. We're intolerant. We are bigoted. So the king makes this proclamation. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a mover and shaker, you got to come over here and you got to do the equivalent of kissing my ring by bowing down to my image and worshiping my gods because my God's powerful, more powerful than your God or you wouldn't be, worship, you wouldn't be worshiping at my shrine. And it's not new. I used Germany before about Hitler training the children to become good Nazis. And this is what Hitler said in, in propaganda literature in 1938, before the Third Reich really solidified their power. It said, whosoever serves Adolf Hitler serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. It's all the same. And in Babylon, we got gods, but it can't can't be Jesus. In fact, when the God of heaven was the only God that didn't really have a lot of standing in Babylon, the king makes his proclamation because he has an ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose in verse 14, he said, Nebuchadnezzar spoke. And remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three magistrates and they didn't bow down. And so they come to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image which I've set up? Wait a minute, guys. You mean you three Jewish boys, I brought you over from, from Israel. I trained you. I gave you place in my palace. I let you have a government job, and you don't worship my gods, and you don't go along with my government edict? What's your problem? And the purpose, listen, the purpose is to squelch all opposition to the powers that be in Babylon. It's going to come in the last days. Revelation 13, 8, this is what it says about the Antichrist kingdom. And all that dwell on earth shall worship him, the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life. You know whose names are written in the book of life? People who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The book of life was written before the foundation of the world because God's an all-knowing God. And people who know Jesus, listen, people who know Jesus Christ cannot worship, they cannot worship over in Babylon, they have to draw the line at the worship in Babylon. We see in Babylon, there is pride. There's pride. We've done it. We don't need God. Look what human, look what human ingenuity can do. Look what education can do. Look what technology can do. It's not God. We are our own gods. We make our own way in Babylon. But look at the prejudice. The prejudice is they were anti-Semitic. They were, they were against the Jews. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Verse 7, they played the music 
and says, all the people fell down and worshiped, but there were three that didn't. Verse eight says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, certain Babylonian rulers came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods. They don't worship the gold image which you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, said, bring them to me. Hey, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people on this plain of Dura. There's just 90-foot image set up. The orchestra plays, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship. And they don't have big jumbotrons in that day. So Nebuchadnezzar could only see what he could see. And in the middle of those 10,000 people, in the middle of that square miles of mass of humanity, three little Jews didn't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't see them. But the rulers, his Chaldeans, his closest advisors said, Hey, king. Three little Jews didn't bow down. And, and I like what they said. They said the truth. They didn't worship. They don't worship. They don't serve your gods and worship your image. They're not good secular humanists. They don't worship like we do. They don't respect you. It's the, it's the Jews. It's the Jews. You know why? In that day, in that culture, the Jews represented those people who served the God of heaven, Jehovah God. What is Jehovah God's first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods but me. Thou shalt make yourself no graven image, no statues. We don't worship statues. We don't worship images. We can only worship God because he's God. Now today, in our culture, you got the Jews and you got the born-again Christians that buck the system. Hey, it's, it's the Christians. It's those Jesus people. They, they don't tolerate other people. They say that if you don't serve Jesus, you're going to hell. They are intolerant. They're bigots. They don't respect other people. Do, again, do you not find it curious? Do you not find it more than coincidental that 4,500 years ago, God reveals this secular king in Babylon, his plan for the ages all the way through to the end of time, the Antichrist. And now 4,500 years later, in, in modern-day, technologically savvy, education-rich culture that we live in, 4,500 years later, you know, we're still talking about two things. We're talking about Babylon, the plains of Jura, ISIS, and we're talking about the Jews and Christians. Netanyahu came over here just last week and said, please, don't let it... Iran, get a nuclear weapon or they'll blow us off the face of the earth. They hate us. Do you think it's coincidental that 4,500 years later, we're still, still talking about the same thing that they were talking about 4,500 years ago? You don't think the Bible's true? You think it's all coincidental? You'll find out one day. I'm telling you, the word of God is true and living and alive, and it's just as powerful today as it was 4,500 years ago. And I got news for you, 20 years from now, it's going to really come to pass. Still talking about the Jews? Still against the Jews? Still talking about Iraq? Still talking about Babylon? 
those pe- listen, people who worship the true God of heaven always buck the system. That's why they burned them in, at the stake at Rome, because they bucked the system. That's why, that's why in this culture, they hate us. They said, those Jews, bucking our system, king. And then what happens? Men of purpose stand for God. Look at verse 15. At the end of verse 14, he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you little Jewish boys, you don't serve my gods or worship the image which I've set up. Verse 15, he says, now, if you are ready, I'm going to give you another chance. If you are ready, I'm going to play the music again. And when you hear the music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. I have made it. And if you do that, good. But look what he says. But if you do not fall down and worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And listen to what he says. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Your God can't help you, buddy. I'm in charge here. In fact, in fact, you're pretty stupid to believe in a God like that. I'm the only God you got. You better listen to me. See, that's what we have. That's what we have. You go back, go back over to Daniel chapter one over here in Babylon, and what do they do? They bring these little Jewish boys over here. They're 14 or 15 years old. They set them over here in Babylon. They're away from mama. They're away from daddy. They're away from the preacher. They're away from their Sunday school teacher. They're away from everything they've ever learned, and they change everything. First of all, they put them in school. Three years, they teach them the language, the literature of the Chaldeans, Remember? And what, when they wanted to put those boys in that, in that Babylonian school, what did they say? They said, sign me up, I'll go. Then what did they do? They shaved their heads and they changed their names. They took away names that honored God and they gave names that honored the Babylonian God. What did these boys say when they said, we're going to send you to school, we'll go, we're going to change your name, change it. Then they said, we want you to eat this food. And the food was, had been offered to their gods and Daniel said, boys, we can't do that because it disobeys our Bible, the Bible. But he went and he made an appeal, remember? He appealed to the boss and he said, look, we, we can't do this, but if you'll let us eat this food, we'll be just as good and it'll be the same purpose. He made an appeal. Up to this point, these little Jewish boys, these little Christian boys had not really bucked the system that much. They had gone along to get along. Sometime when you live in Babylon, you can go along. It's okay. When, when they want to send you to school, look, I am not anti-education. I have a modicum of education myself. I just don't show it and use it, but I have a little bit of education. And I want to tell you that your children need to get the best education they can. I'm for that. But you know why these little Jewish boys didn't care? They went and listened to what the Babylonians taught you know why? Because they had had a mama and a daddy and a synagogue and a preacher that had taught them the truth of God's word. And no matter what they told them in school, they knew the truth from a lie. And I'm telling you, mama and daddy, grandma and grandpa, you, you're responsible to train your children. And if you train your children what's right, you bring them to this church. We'll help you train them. We'll teach them the truth of God's word. And then you can send them in school. And when they say something wrong in school, your kids will know the difference and it's not going to corrupt them. But you better be sure you've educated them. You are responsible to educate your children. And you better watch and listen to what your kids are getting. 
Look, if you send your kids to public school, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that at all. You send your kids to public school, don't complain because they teach evolution. That's what they teach. Don't go up there and complain and gripe about everything. And, and your, your teacher in the classroom, it's probably not her fault. Stuff that goes wrong. The principal, they're part of the system. And it's not easy being in charge. So listen, there's three things in this world you're going to face in every area of your life. One, there's things worth fighting for. There's things worth dying for. And some things are not worth messing with. And wise people know the difference in those three things. And my experience with Baptists, and I've been one my whole life, is that Baptists fight over stuff not worth messing with. Please. They didn't complain. They, they made an appeal. But then when it came time, hey, now bow down and worship. They said, we can't do that. You know what? They're, they're, if you're a Christian, this young teenagers, 15, 14-year-old teenagers, 25, 35-year-old mom and daddies and 70, 80-year-old grandfathers. Let me tell you something. If you're a born-again Christian, there's got to be a line in your life that you're going to draw, and it better be a biblical line. There's going to come a time. If they ask you to do something, you can do it. But if they ask you to do something that violates the principle of God's word, then you got to obey God. But don't be a jerk doing it. They said, we, can't, we cannot bow down and worship that image. We cannot. Young people, you get up in the morning, you go to school, you ride the bus, you go to class, you go to the cafeteria, you hang out in the halls, and the people that are around you, they talk, they, take, they say GD, MF, bitch, ho. A teenager, and, and just because somebody cusses around you, you don't have to stand up and preach them a sermon. But just be sure you don't say what they say. Be sure you don't tell the jokes they tell. Teenager, draw a line. Draw a line. Parents, you get up and you go to work and you have the same thing. GDMF, take God's name in vain, tell filthy jokes. Everything's a sexual innuendo. You got to draw a line. But you know, you know what? If somebody, if somebody tells you something or says something or crosses a line, you know what you do? You say, you get them by themselves and you say, look, I want to tell you something. You are my friend and I love you and I appreciate you. But you know what you said about me and GD? I want you to know, I, I'm a Christian and that really bothered me. And I wish you wouldn't say that to me. Look, I want to be your friend. Look, look, take a stand in a sane, respectful, and decent way. And if you'll do that one time, you probably won't have to do it a second. But the problem we have in our culture is that Christians have no stand and no backbone. You go along, to get along. And sometimes you can, but you, there's got to, do you not have a line? Do you not have a line that's the word of the living God? Do you not teach your children the line, the word of the living God? 
men of purpose, women of purpose, stand for what's right. And they have the wisdom to know when to stand and when not to stand. And God bless you. I love some of you, but you treat your children so wrong. When they're wrong, you take up for them. You let some teacher cross your kids, you're going up to school and fill that teacher full. If a teacher got me, my mother beat me. Your kids have never had to face the consequence of anything because you bail them out of everything and you take their side all the time. And that is the worst thing you can do for them, but that's another sermon. Men of purpose stand for God. Women of purpose stand for God. Take a stand. What this world is, what I've been telling you for three or four weeks, what this world needs to see is some Christians. There's got to be a line that you draw. No matter if you're a 14-year-old kid or a 40-year-old mama or an 80-year-old grandmama, there's got to be a line that you draw if you're a Christian living in Babylon. Men and women of purpose stand for God. The world has not changed. 4,500 years ago, it was the way it is. Today, it's the way it is. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it's going to be that way too, except it's getting progressively worse. And we, have, you and I, have got to decide how we're going to live our lives in this culture. And next week, I'm going to make some practical things that I think we can do as individuals in this Harvest Baptist Church to make a difference. Some people conform the culture. Some, some people confront the culture. Other people try to influence the culture. And that's what we need to try to do, influence people around us to Jesus. Don't you want to influence your kids? Don't you want to influence your grandkids? Then there's some things that we can do. God helping us. Well, whether you've been with us during this series for the past three weeks, or if you've just tuned in today, Pastor Lambert has given us a lot to think about from Daniel. Where are you living? How are you acting? Who you serve? Join us in next week at Harvest Baptist Church.